testing comes, they're for our own benefit, to our own character, to our own perseverance. May we always in all things glorify you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Good morning, church. Happy. This is a, yeah, come on, happy 4th of July, right? Oh, that's kind of weak. Come on, I've seen fireworks better than that. Happy 4th of July. Woo! Freedom is a commodity that is always paid for at a price. Our freedom in this country bought at the great price of many who died, and our freedom in our faith bought at the great price of Christ. And uh, this morning, as we're learning about the life of Jesus, you're going to learn about really what is, he t- what is he telling you to do today. You know, I think uh, Jesus did many things, but one of the things that I think stick out in my mind the most is just his incredible ability to command. He did not ask people. He told people. You know, most of us don't want to follow somebody who tells us what to do. I mean, even as kids, you know, oh, my parents are always telling me what to do. Isn't that the wine, right? Come on. We've all been there, or some of us. Some of us are still there, right? And you sit there and you go, Man, you know, in life, I've found a lot of times the best things that can happen in life are often the things that are commanded into your life out of love. The people that really love you don't just ask you to be a better person. They're telling you, be a better person. Don't do that to your life. And when we're talking about the life of Jesus, there's this section in Mark that I want to connect with this morning. And so, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and go ahead and turn into Mark, and you're going to hear an incredible story about the life of Jesus. You'll see he was about to set sail on the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 35. But what's interesting about this section of Jesus' life is he began to use the uh, boating industry, you might say. Transportation was shipping. The boats provided the perfect transportation for Jesus' ministry. And perfect for many reasons, I could sit here and tell you. It was perfect because it got him to where he needed to go. It was perfect because it gave him a time alone with his 12 disciples to to train them in their leadership. It was perfect. It gave him a chance and a place to rest. It was perfect. It gave him an opportunity to train into people and to teach people. There were a lot of reasons he used this mode of transportation. He used it to preach to people. He'd get into a boat on the side of the shore. There were so many people that they'd stretch out over the shore and he'd preach out of a boat. But in this section, on that day, in verse 35, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. But as he was in the boat, there were also other boats with him. I think sometimes we miss this, by the way. These little statements that I just want you to sit on for a second. Every word in the Bible has value. So like that one section where we read a couple weeks ago where the crowd was following Jesus and the crowd was coming out from the funeral. I think so many times in our heads we had this little nursery school picture of Jesus where it's just like him and a couple buddies and there's a small crowd of people. You know? at all these events, or him in one boat. Have you noticed most of the pictures of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, there's one boat, right? What do you think really happened here? Is there were a lot of boats. There were a lot of people. The crowds were massive. This was not a small event. 
So when he was in the boat going to the other side, there were other boats that followed. A furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. I actually did that to a boat once. We won't go into that. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Sleeping. This guy's a good sleeper. I wish I had his sleep sleep. The disciples woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Which is, which is actually one of those stupid questions we always ask when we're in a panic, right? That's how people are when they panic. They, they ask stupid questions. We're all going to die. He got up and listened carefully to this statement. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? And they'd been walking with him several days. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this that commands nature? There's a, a term that, again, I think Christians should highlight. It's the imperative, which was unusual in the Greek, that they would ever use this in their writings. Imperatives was rarely used. Jesus and the New Testament and the Bible, what makes it so unique is it uses it quite often. In fact, Jesus used the imperative all the time. Imperative was only held off and used for commanding people to do things. So, like, I wouldn't be asking you to do this. I'd be telling you do this. If, if you were my child, I'd say, you need to do this. Do this. Period. Do it. So that's why I'm saying this morning, I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. And I want you to ask yourself, have you ever had Jesus command your life and tell you to do something? What is Jesus telling you to do? Not asking you, not on some whim, telling you this is what you need to do. You see, anybody that stands up and talks to the wind and it listens to them should be listened to, don't you think? I mean, I sit there and I go, okay, this is one of the first things that we realize about Jesus is he was a commanding individual, and as he commanded these people, he taught us the presence and power of his life. Jesus was not like any other historic figure. He's not just another religious ruler. He was a man who stood up and said, quiet, be still, and the sea would stop. And whenever somebody stands up and commands nature, there's going to be a healthy sense of fear and awe, don't you think? It's like when you stand in front of the Grand Canyon. It's like when you stand in front of a blazing fire. There's a healthy sense of fear and awe about anything that is that powerful. And of course, those who don't understand that then become foolish. And so Jesus was a, a figure that all of a sudden commanded a presence, commanded uh, a, a certain amount of dignity and respect just by nature of who he was. So when they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, there's another story of power. There was a man there who was literally possessed by demons, a legion of demons, and he would run around through the tombs naked. And this, the, the town and the village and the city, they tried to confine him to chains, but he was so powerful he'd break out of chains. So they were scared of this man. And Jesus, in this story, tells the spirit, and again, the imperative, the command, he says, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And the spirit negotiates. The, the demons negotiate. They say, please, anywhere, anywhere. 
And so he throws them into 2,000 pigs, a herd of pigs. He throws the, the demons into the pigs, and the pigs run off the side of a cliff and die. 2,000 pigs. Folks, I have never seen 2,000 pigs in one place. And if you have, you're very blessed. Because that's the amount of pigs that I've probably eaten in my life. But I have never seen 2,000 pigs together. And imagine if those were your pigs. You just lost your livelihood. In fact, that whole city, once they found that the man had gained his senses, this was their response. Those tending the pigs, they ran off and reported it in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told him about all the pigs as well. And then the people, the whole town, comes to him and pleads with Jesus, please leave us. Why please leave us? Because they were scared of him and what he could do. They had a righteous fear of a living God in a man's body and in flesh. The power of the presence of Jesus Christ. We always wonder what that must have been like. You're reading it right here. You're reading it right in this story. The power of the presence of Jesus needs to be made real in everybody's life. Because it's the only way Jesus will be able to tell you with authority, what you need to do in your life to be a better person. You know, one of the biggest issues in the church today is you could sit here and read something out of the Bible and tell a believer to go do it, and they walk out the door and do something totally different. They actually think the commandments of God are considered optional reading. Seriously. Most of our culture and our Christian culture is like, well, just because he said it, there's other truths. There's other ways to live. The problem with that statement is that's not a Christian statement. That's the culture statement. And that tells me what you believe. Whose power and authority do you fear the most? Where is the presence of God in your life? Is Jesus really that? What's he told you to do then? Jesus is a commanding figure. I love that about him. And I think when he speaks into our lives, we begin to realize that. By the time we get to verse 21 of chapter 5, Jesus crosses back again in the boat, taking their advice. He says, I'll leave you alone. He goes to the other side, and a large crowd gathers again. Again, the crowds are pressing in on him. And a gentleman named Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, came to Jesus, fell at his feet, pleaded earnestly with him, My daughter, my little daughter is dying. My little girl is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. She's dying. So Jesus went with them, but there was a large crowd that pressed around him. There was a woman who had this hemorrhaging or bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all she had had on doctors, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. You ever have that where you go to a doctor and they don't answer your problem? Uh, we live in that, by the way. It wasn't getting better. It was growing worse. 
And when she heard about Jesus, she came up. So Jesus is in this crowd, picture this, moving towards Jairus' home. And the crowd's pressing in all around him. And this woman just wants to get to him. And she came up behind him in the crowd. She touched his cloak. And because she thought, if I just touched his clothes, I'll be healed. What kind of power do you think he had? Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And again, we're always thinking through the minds of this world and through human eyes. So often, it's crazy. His disciples, again, made these statements. Notice his disciples. They got a terrible track record. First of all, they feel like they're going to drown. Oh, we're all going to drown. Jesus says, man, where's your faith, right? And now all of a sudden he's saying, who touched my clothes? And his disciples respond, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answers, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Why would you even ask that? There's so many people. Come on, think about it. You're crowded in by so many people. How can you even ask that question? Jesus, I love Jesus because he said things that just nobody says. He goes counterculture to culture. I mean, he speaks against all that we think about. But Jesus kept looking. Now listen, I, I want you to get full impact of the story here. Jairus is with Jesus. His daughter is dying. His little girl is dying. He's imploring and pleading Jesus to get to his house to help her. And Jesus is all of a sudden looking around in the crowd for a woman who touched him. How would you feel? And all of a sudden, Jesus is looking around, and he kept looking around. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, he, she came. And how did she treat Jesus? Man, I'll tell you what. I'm not telling you to come and fall at my feet today. But I'm telling you, have you ever fallen at the feet of Jesus? Have your knees ever touched the floor and your face ever kissed the ground in front of Jesus? Because that's when you do when you see power. In fact, that was the first definition of worship, to bow towards. And I sit there and I go, this woman, she comes forward, she falls face down on her knees, on her feet, trembling with fear, and then told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, what happened to her? Daughter, your faith. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You learn the next story. Twelve years of suffering and she had one moment of faith. Twelve years of suffering this woman had. One moment of faith. And she found out Jesus is looking for those moments. I, I, I really see Jesus as a person who seeks people of faith who trust in him. People who will turn to him with their problems and their concerns and trust him totally. He's seeking out the faithful ones. A, a lot of people, they just, they don't trust. They don't have faith. Uh, what faith they have is very little. This woman sought him out in a crowd. Didn't even want to talk to him necessarily. Just wanted to touch him. Her faith brought her to action. And faith and action are almost synonyms in many of the New Testament stories. And so you sit here, and she touches him. And in that moment of faith, Jesus knew his power had gone out, and someone had shown faith, and he took the time to turn around and look for faith. 
Do you think if people are seeking God that they will find him? I don't think Jesus hides. I think people just don't read the Bible. I don't think Jesus hides. I just don't think people want to go to church. I don't think Jesus hides. I think they just don't want to hear the truth because it goes against what they want to do and live like. It's not rocket science. Jesus never hid the gospel from anybody. He never hid his life. He's looking for faithful people. Hmm. But get this. The story doesn't end. The drama of the moment, pressing through the crowds in the moment, as he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. In verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, while he was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, just believe. Now, I'm going to say it the way he said it. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, believe. A man just lost his daughter. She's dead. Jesus' commanding voice speaks again in the imperative as a factual thing. No pleasantries. Don't be afraid. Why would they be afraid? People are fearful at death. Scared. Grief. A hundred different emotions. And guess what Jesus did? He said, believe. What do you think Jesus is looking for? Faith, maybe? You see, the truth is, our actions reveal our beliefs. You may say you want to follow Jesus, you may say you want the truth in your life, but then you go out and you choose to live a different way. And so, your actions have revealed what you truly believe. Do you believe people need to know Jesus? Then you will naturally try to figure out ways to share that faith. You'll work at it. It's something you'll strive towards. You don't believe it, you won't do it. But that doesn't mean I don't believe it. Absolutely it does. But just because you don't exercise kindness doesn't mean you're not kind. Well, you always will have an opportunity to exercise what? Kindness. I'm not saying you have to do it 24-7. I'm saying there will be moments in your life you exercise every Christian value, every Christian virtue, and you'll make choices in life on how you'll live. You see, Christianity is a lifestyle, not just something you stick in your head. And he was trying to teach them through this whole thing to believe in something. Guess what it was? Through this whole story, Mark is so good at this. Believe in me. Don't be afraid. So he splits away from the crowd at this point. I don't know how he did this. But he took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, with him. And they went to the home of the synagogue leader. And Jesus saw a commotion. The people were crying and they were wailing loudly. And I don't know if you've ever been to funerals. As a pastor, I get to do these things. But the, the younger the child, the more weeping and wailing goes on. So when you have this young girl who's passed, like recently, there was a lot of commotion, a lot of grief, a lot of things going on. Now listen to how Jesus dealt with it. 
he went in and he said to them this. Why all this commotion and wailing? <laughs> listen, listen, if you, you gotta you gotta understand this. This isn't real life. For someone to say this in the middle of a dying girl's brief, I mean, it boggles my mind. Either Jesus was the most rude person on the history of the planet, or he was the Son of God incarnate in flesh. Which one do you want to believe? Because only one of two people would do something like this. And he sits there and he goes, why all the commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, just sleeping. And guess what they did? They thought he was the resident humorist. They laughed at him. And after he put them all out, and I can just picture Jesus doing this, get out of here. Just get out. Be gone. And Jairus, the only reason they probably left was because Jairus was with him. Jairus knew who he was. And maybe they did too, but he pushed them out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kum, which is a, an Aramaic form, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around, and she was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely what? Who would not be? They were astonished. And then he gave, this is fascinating. Again, this is out of the box of humanity. It's, this is where Jesus is God. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Don't, hold on, somebody just died and you raised them from the dead? Okay, any, anybody, think about this. In our culture today on religion, Okay, let's just say religious TV. If somebody raised somebody from the dead, what do you think they'd do? Yeah, they'd put it on ESPN, CNN, Fox, whatever you're watching. They'd get, you know, you know, they'd do all sorts of stuff. The last thing they would do is say, please keep this quiet and get her some food. Yeah, There's a reason, though. He knew the second all this stuff gets out, he was going to die. He too would be put to death. And I sit there and I go, what you're seeing in Jesus, which is fascinating to me, is what Jesus is telling you in life. Think about it. He has power over the earth, the wind, the waves. He has power over angelic beings, the demons. He has power over all suffering, the bleeding woman, the suffering woman. He has power over life and death. Jairus' daughter. So simply tell yourself something. Tell yourself, does Jesus speak with authority? Do you listen? I thought this was incredible. Mark really sits on this theme of Jesus' power and deity. And, I, and as a Christian for a long time, I've always been raised, and it's true, God is love. He wants a love relationship with us. But even though he has a love relationship with you, and he is my father, and I could go to him at any time. He forgives my sins. I mean, he forgave all my sins, guys. I love him. And I can approach God even in my most darkest hour. 
But that doesn't mean I need to forget who he is. And it doesn't mean that he stops telling me what to do. People wonder, you know, why the conditions, why, you know, you go to school, kids. Think about it. You go to school. What's school like? What's the conditions? Let, let me just say, do they speak with grace and love? Does everybody speak graciously and lovingly to each other in school? Is that the way it is? They treat each other with love, unconditional love. What? Am I making that up? No. But I am telling you, that doesn't happen, does it? And then the kids that do it, they stick out, don't they? They stick out because it's not normal, like when somebody's getting picked on for somebody to walk alongside them and say, it's okay, I'll take care of you. Now, usually we're, the, we're taught these things from a young age. We're taught in our culture how we think we should act, and we forget Jesus brought a culture into life too. I love the young man who accepted Christ. Did you hear what he said? He said, I see things differently now. Can I ask a simple question? If you've listened to Jesus this morning, what's he telling you to do? How do you see things differently? How about this one? Jesus seeks authentic faith. He seeks people that really just want to trust in him and do what he wants them to do. So you ask a simple question. Do you practice faith? What do you mean practice it? Well, the woman who had the bleeding had to come to Jesus to have it healed. Correct? Jairus had to come to Jesus to get him to come to his house. Correct? Since when did we ever separate out our faith into doing something, not doing things? Listen, guys, if you trust anything, you, you will practice it. You know? If I trust that car is going to work, I'll get in it and use it. If I trust that education is going to get me this job, I'll go to class and I'll sit down and do my best to get that degree. That's because you trust it that it'll work. If you believe in Jesus and you seek him and you trust him and you turn to him, then you will do what he wants you to do. And Jesus wants you to believe. And it's not just coming to salvation belief, by the way. A lot of people, I think, that's important. Like this young man this morning, definitely we need to come to salvation. That's step one. Step one. You need to believe differently. How's your life doing? The things you believe, have they treated you well? Because I promise you this, the things that Jesus teaches us that we should believe are freeing. They're freedom. They're grace. Jesus tells us to believe. And then we have to ask ourselves, do you? I'm challenged every time I do my Bible study. Why? Because I'm challenged because Jesus is saying, this is who I should be, and I have to reflect on it and say, this is who I am. Am I a man of faith? Do I trust God? And then based upon what God wants, do I go out and live my life? Or do I live my life based on what I want? Do you have a situation in your life where you don't think there's any way to overcome it? You're having a situation at home. If you have a, a situation where you think there's no way through this, what did you just learn in the stories? Is there anything he can't conquer? Man. But then, if that's true, what should I do? 
What did all of them say to Jesus? What did they all do? They turned to him. They let him work in their life. They trusted him, and they treated him with respect, awe, reverence. Walking in the life of Jesus, it's not easy. It's not easy. No matter what age you are in this room, it's not easy. But it is fruitful, it is powerful, and it is eternal. And it is beautiful, and it is glorious, it is awesome. It is many things. But never let anybody tease you that it's easy. To believe in Jesus, to trust in him, that's a beautiful thing. May you be saved today if you don't know that. Maybe Jesus is telling you today you need to be saved. You need to believe in him. Maybe Jesus is saying, you already believe, but you do not walk in faith. You need to do as I tell you to do and stop playing the games. Maybe that's something he's telling you. Or maybe he's telling you this, you know, I'm going through a really hard time in my life and I've got this impossible thing in front of me. And Jesus steps in and he says, what's impossible? Why are you acting like that? Whether you're facing death Life, circumstance, nothing is impossible with God. And if he's telling you that this morning, then you too need to believe and have faith. And the way he would tell you is not asking. He would tell you, believe. Why the little faith? Why the lack of trusting? You need salvation, I'm here, believe in me. Because he went against everything in culture. We make so many false assumptions about Jesus, it's ridiculous. Let Jesus tell you what to do. If you could set sail with Jesus, do it today. And let him tell you what to do with your life. Give him authority. If there's any one person in this life that you would give authority to, it would be Jesus. No other authority has any power without him anyways. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you love us enough to tell us what is the right thing to do and not just to ask. You speak into our hearts, whether we're in middle school or high school or college or adults or even in, in, in the ages of years. Growing old is, is beautiful when we grow old with you. And so I pray, Father, that you would teach us your faith, tell us your truth, show us your ways, and then give us strength. Give us power to do that as well. In your name, amen. Join with us. Today is communion. I'd like to have our servers come forward and help us with the tables. If there is one particular area upon which God has talked to you this morning or he's told you what he'd like you to do in your life this morning, I'd like you to focus on it right now. I'd like you to focus on it throughout communion. God, what is it you want me to do? Communion is done once a month in our church. It's an exciting time to reflect on and remember what Jesus did. Today is also a time above and beyond if you want to give to our benevolence offering as a church. To those who are in our church who need help, give above and beyond your tithe. You do that in the box in the back. Uh, I look at communion for many reasons and many things. And as I've read it and studied it over and over again... I love it 
this is one of those habits we should be in. We should be in the habit of remembering Jesus and what he did for us. We should be in the habit of remembering the great sacrifice he made for us. We should be in the habit of taking up that cross as well and making sacrifices. So I pray, let's take a moment of silence. Whatever the God told you to do this morning, let him do it. Thank you, Father, for your words of wisdom and authority, for truth that transcends all time and all situation. Thank you for this, a remembrance of a sacrifice made for our sins, all our shortcomings. And thank you what a remembrance it is to think that all our sins were forgiven in a moment and that we have a new life to live in. May we never forget at what price freedom is paid for. Freedom is always paid for at a great price.